Moms, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Dorinda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, and nana to six. If you're new here, we are so glad that you've joined us. If you've been listening for a while, you know that one of the things that I love the most is to bring great resources to help moms be more intentional in motherhood, in marriage, and in homeschooling. Today is no different. We are going to be talking about a topic that I have never really discussed, but I've literally been excited about this podcast for weeks. So before I introduce our very special guest, I want to remind you that if you haven't checked out my books on Amazon, please go and do that. I have two books, The Unhurried Homeschooler, which is a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, and that is a devotional that's written especially for moms. Also, if you're listening to this podcast, please leave a review from wherever you're listening because the more reviews we have, the more the system allows moms to see that this podcast is actually available. And my deepest desire is to encourage as many moms as possible. So I'm going to start with a little background story. It's been a few months now, but I think uh, what I was doing a few months ago was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a post from someone who was reading a book called Mama Bear Apologetics. As I read through uh, her description and checked the book out on Amazon, I was immediately gripped by what a huge need this book was filling. So when you hear the word apologetics, what comes to mind? I know what has typically come to my mind Um, that that is for brainiacs who like to debate. Now, don't laugh. It's true. But I've also learned over the years that as I fleshed out cultural issues with our kids, my go-to was typically asking pointed questions based on what I knew God's word had to say about it. Kids ask really good questions. And so sometimes I didn't know the answers, but we would figure it out together. So, It can be easy to see apologetics as one more thing to add to your already busy schedules. But moms, have you taken a look around you? Christian leaders are falling to the wayside right and left. We're seeing kids leave the faith in droves and fellow Christians buying into what the Bible describes as hollow and deceptive philosophies. Hmm. Not one of us wants this for ourselves or for our kids. And it is, it's really gut-wrenching, but it's not hopeless. So let's talk about what exactly is apologetics. So Wikipedia defines it as the religious discipline of defending religious doctrines through systematic argumentation and discourse. And discourse, I had to actually look that up, written or spoken communication or debate. Basically, it's being able to give a reason for what you believe. So unfortunately, the church in general has Um, done a horrible job of equipping families for what we're facing in our culture right now. But today, we're going to do something about that. And I am so happy to have Hillary Morgan Ferrer here with us today. She is the founder of Mama Bear Apologetics. She has a burden for providing accessible apologetics resources for busy moms. She has a master's in biology, and her specialties are scientific apologetics dealing with doubt, and identifying causes and solutions for the youth leaving the church. Welcome, Hillary. I am so grateful you're here today. 
Thank you so much. And I, I, loved, I loved hearing your story about uh, <laughs> isn't apologetics just for brainiacs who like to debate. I just, I like hearing the aha moments that, that women have when they realize, oh no, apologetics is for me. So that was great. Right. I, I was just, as I was beginning to read through your book, I was just so uh, taken with the, um, the way that you articulate things and, 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 and it really uh, brought back home to me again how important apologetics really is. I, I like the word because it encompasses so much, but it can, it can sound and feel just a little bit intimidating yeah. to, to moms and those of us who haven't really uh, dived into all the nuts and bolts of that. But today we're going we're gonna to keep things um, in, a, in a space where moms can really relate and uh, really what we want to do is equip moms to equip their kids. And um, so tell us a little bit about how you became interested in apologetics. So I go back basically to the point where I can talk and I have been a question asker. Uh, um, my parents comment on how many questions, mostly my dad, because my dad, my dad gets me. He's, he's a thinker too. So, but like, if you look at my, my uh, kindergarten, uh, was it report card, you know, because um, your parents save up all this right. stuff. And then as soon as you move out of the house, they think that you have this huge house that you can put all this paraphernalia in. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they gave me like all my old report cards and stuff. And my kindergarten report card in the comment section has asks lots of questions. <laughs> and if you move forward to just a couple years when my uh, parents met one of my favorite grad school professors, the first thing he said is basically that I asked the best questions he's ever heard. Every time he saw my hand go up, he knew and he's like, I need to gird my loins. I've got a <laughs> question coming. Uh, so I am really thankful that I did not grow up when the internet was just readily available. It's just kind of had started becoming available maybe in, in high school, but it, it wasn't used for much. There wasn't much on there, there um, yet. But I remember our pastor is one of the few few pastors that you would ever have that did not go through formal seminary training. Uh, the way he became a Christian was basically the same way that Lee Strobel did, this kind of similar to C.S. Lewis, all the what, what you might call reluctant converts, mm -hmm. that he set out to disprove Christianity and then discovered that, wow, this is actually true. Um, J. Warner Wallace has this story. And so uh, when I was 12, I was like right old enough to where I was starting to get, get, get interested in what, you know, we call big church. You got big church and then kids church. Uh, and he went through several, he went through C.S. Lewis's liar, Lord, lunatic uh, trilemma of was Jesus who he said he was. And I think nowadays we can actually add a fourth L, which is legend, because that's actually starting to go, become a popular theory. Uh, then he went through, I think, the evidences for the resurrection. And my little hand was just scribbling notes as fast as I could. Because for the first time I saw, this is a faith that isn't just believing because my parents do, because it's the right thing, or because that's how I was brought up. It's like, this is something that can be, you can ask questions about this. That was amazing. Like, that's how I'm built is to ask questions. And when I realized you can ask questions and there's actually answers and really good answers I was hooked. So basically from the time I was 12, I was hooked. And no matter what I went through in life, no matter what, what struggles I had, no matter what doubts I had, no matter what anything I had, I grounded my faith on the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And not just the fact that some books said that it happened, 
but the evidence that showed that, yeah, that's actually the best explanation. And that's something that doesn't change depending on shifting values, depending, depending on shifting emotions. It is a fact that I cannot get away from. And I felt that in order to leave Christianity, I would have to check my brain at the door. And that is the one thing I am not willing to do. Right. So it oh. kept me, I, I will say that Jesus Christ saved my life, but uh, uh, faith in Jesus Christ saved my life, but apologetics saved my faith. Mm, I love that. I love that. So moms, uh, if you have question askers out there, brace yourself because (laughs) you might want to check out Hillary's resources because she's got a lot of them and you may need them to answer those kids' questions. Um, I know we purchased some some material for our son and just sort of started with uh, some of the basic things, basic questions that kids ask. Um, about God and the Bible and creation and the flood and dinosaurs and things like that. And quite frankly, I want to know some of these things too, because I haven't really, uh, I I haven't really dived into a ton of that. Um, I'm, I'm more along the lines of, um, I didn't have to ask a million questions. It was more like, it just seemed, I don't even know how to describe it. It's probably not very solid. And that's why I'm here. Well, I think that's actually a really common story for a lot of women. Right. I, I think there is this beautiful childlike faith that um, yes. that people have, and I think that's wonderful. But what they don't realize is that the culture they grew up in reinforced that beautiful childlike faith. It praised you for that beautiful childlike faith. And now we are raising kids in a culture that is, if the second they see that beautiful childlike faith, it is their goal to undermine it. You have something called street epistemologists. So the word epistemology means how you come to knowledge. It's a whole study in philosophy. So these street epistemologists, what their whole goal is, is it's basically kind of like um, street evangelism for atheists. Right. They go and they say, oh, well, you know, they'll get into the, they'll try to establish rapport. And then they start getting into these conversations. Well, how do you know that? Well, how do you know that? Oh, but you know, why do you think that's true? Oh, is it just because the Bible said so? And they will winsomely and humorously and graciously seek to destroy every single foundation of that beautiful childlike faith. And mm. so if, if that's how we came to Christ and that's how we've stayed in Christ, it's like, hooray, that's wonderful. But you have to realize we're in a different culture that that really just doesn't cut it anymore. Absolutely. And, and now I'm, I'm in my 50s and I've been in the Word all of these years. And I do feel very, very anchored by that. But I'm not sure that I could win an argument or a debate with someone when it comes to that kind of thing. And, uh, and I, I find it interesting because I know that God is going to call each of us to something different um, as far as, you know, how much we're going to have to interact that way with other people. Yeah. But we see that um, our culture is requiring that more and more and more. And um, in, in our kids, I think it's just so uh, important. And this is why this this book is so important and the message that you're bringing to parents is so important um, that they are able to do that, that they are able to defend their faith. And so we may just be as moms uh, learning right alongside of our kids. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where, um, and that's why we're, we're talking today. This is why we're, we're um, having this conversation. Uh, most of our audience today are homeschooling moms who have a unique opportunity to equip their 
kids simply because they're in charge of their kids' education and their days. Um, as a homeschool mom myself, I so appreciate what you're offering in Mama Bear Apologetics because it puts into words what can be so hard to identify and articulate. You know, as Christian moms, we can have a strong sense that something is wrong, but we can't put our finger on it. So as I read the words of this book, it was actually so affirming to my own faith. Um, It also helped me prioritize our homeschooling year this year, instead of making apologetics another subject, um, our language arts is actually revolving around apologetics. Oh, that is so wonderful. I think you're actually picking up on something that a lot of people haven't picked up on, which is apologetics isn't necessarily a separate a separate field of study. It's a right. way to study everything. Right, right. Exactly. Because it, you, it, it takes you, you can study creation through, through it. I mean, it's just, I'm finding there's just this broad scope of places we can go as we're working from that one, from one simple question that's being asked that day, um, mm-hmm. that particular day in our study. And then, um, you know, our son is having to write, you know, what he's understanding and hearing from what we've talked about and read and then so then you've got so there you've got the um you know the the hearing and the being able to summarize what it is you've heard and or what it is you've read he's, he's doing memorization he's uh copying um extra scriptures that go along with that particular uh lesson that day so yes exactly we can we can take that as as a our main subject and work from there and cover our uh, our other subjects from there, everything from social justice <laughs> to politics to, yeah, you're absolutely right. We can work from that point. I just love that. And we really do cover the gamut in the book. And I kind of want to say something off of what you uh, just said as well. Um, oh, if I can remember it now, it might have left my brain. Um, <laughs> you had said something a little bit ago. You're, you're doing apologetics. Oh, yeah, I remember. One of the things that I think moms can get uh, intimidated with apologetics is it feels like something extra that they have to do on top right. of it. And I think one of the unique things about this particular book is that it's not a whole bunch, it's not a list of a whole bunch of new facts that you need to remember. In fact, my husband came up with this really amazing analogy and he put it on an Amazon review. I thought he was going to give me like a joking Amazon review, like, oh, this yep, this book cures cancer or something like that. But he gave <laughs> me like a really good review and he's a label maker. It's this idea of like, we see this stuff in culture and it's like this box of things that we're like, okay, I know that's not right, but I don't know how to sort through it. Okay. This other box of what I saw on this TV show, there's a bunch of stuff in there that's not right. But again, I don't know how to articulate it. So instead of just giving you a whole bunch of new information, it's taking stuff that you've already noticed and mm-hmm. it's helping you give a name to it and gives you words to it. So in fact, it's, it's, it's helping you process what you already have in your brain, not giving you extra stuff in your brain. And I think in that sense, it is really helpful. I completely agree. I, I couldn't agree more. As I've read through it, that's exactly what was happening. It's like, okay, she gave a name to that. I understand what that is now. And which then in turn gives us um, the tools we need to explain better to our kids and to defend it ourselves when we are out and being um, being confronted um, by opposing opinions, you know? Um, so tell us, um, what is the main difference between this book? Is that the main difference? Would you say the labeling part or are there other differences between this book and other apologetics books for parents? Yeah. Um, 
what I aim to do with this book, and there, there's a lot of things that I did on purpose, and I have heard feedback from people saying, yes, you know, we hit those purposes, but there's ones that were almost kind of tangential to those purposes that I didn't even realize that I was doing, that I, I still hit those, and, and the label maker thing, I wasn't doing that on purpose, but after the book came out, I was like, yeah, that is actually what's going on. Um, I would say one of the main differences, instead of taking specific questions and answers, which I think a lot of apologetics books for parents are, and I think those are absolutely needed. I think they're so valuable because your kids are going to have those specific questions that you need to look at. But beyond that, what I try to do with this book is say those questions aren't coming out of a vacuum. Those questions are coming from somewhere. And a lot of times they're coming from a kind of a faulty worldview. So what we did was we went back even another step and to, to say what is prompting these questions. So a lot of the questions about science, oh, excuse me, like this idea of can science and Christianity, can those coexist? Well, that's coming from the foundational worldview of naturalism or, or scientism, which says that scientific knowledge is the only way to get actual knowledge. The scientific method, that's the only way. That right there is a worldview. And it's also a, a philosophical statement. It's a self-refuting statement, which you'll see uh, in chapter six, where I talk about self-refuting statements. When you can kind of nip some of these things in the bud and go to where the questions are coming from, what's the faulty worldview that's causing the questions, it'll actually make a lot of the questions not nearly, it kind of takes the teeth out of the questions because you realize that it's starting with a faulty premise. In fact, I did um, a, a pre presentation just this last Wednesday at a church, Frisco Bible Church in, in Frisco, Texas, and I kind of made this chart where I was talking about the verse where that's sort of talking about the Great Commission, the, you know, how will people believe unless they hear and how will people hear unless someone is sent, you know, that, that verse. Right. So I kind of, I, I categorize that as just traditional evangelism. And then I think what has happened uh, through kind of the history of ideas is people have started questioning a lot of the basics of historical uh, aspects of Christianity. And so that's where you have apologetics. And I call apologetics a pre-evangelism. It's basically... Uh, these are a lot of the questions that need to be answered before someone can really believe in Jesus Christ that was God's son and came to die. And because you have to believe that Jesus existed, you have to believe that God exists. And those are evidential questions. Right. Well, take one more step back and I call worldview apologetics and on their book pre-apologetic in the sense that if you don't believe in the concept of truth, you can't even start talking to someone about the truth of Jesus Christ. Right. If you don't believe that sin is a real thing, and that's a worldview issue. That's not an evidential issue. That's a worldview issue. If you don't believe that sin is real and that you're not perfect and there's something about you that is offensive to a holy God, you, the, the whole message of Christ does not make sense. So it's like basically we've had society just undermining our ability to even give the basic message of Christ. And so I would say this book, instead of going straight for the questions, is going for the assumptions that are underneath the questions. And in that sense, I think we're really getting to the root of the problem. And if we can start here and then move on to the questions, I think it'll kind of orient everything in a, in a more cohesive way. That's awesome. I'm, I have a question for you. Do you have um, this resource? This book is, is obviously for moms. Do you have resources that do exactly what you just described on a kid level? We do not. So our main goal, in fact, a lot of people are still kind of confused about this idea of mama bear apologetics is um, my goal isn't equipping the kids. It's equipping the moms to equip okay. the kids because mm -hmm. basically mom is the one that's getting the questions 
And we could do all the youth. I think youth apologetics is great. But if we can equip mom, we equip the family. Because A, number one, dads are usually more interested in apologetics to begin with. If you get the mom, you get the whole family. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I would rather help her understand what's going on so that she is the hero in this scenario, that she's the one that's answering that question. Right. Um, I do break it down into uh, suggestions for how would you have this conversation with your kids? How are some things that you can point this out? I think maybe making some more helper material for, for different ages might be something in the works in the future. I really can't say I'm still <laughs> trying to catch my breath from this book. Um, but that is something that we have had people ask about. But I'm really hoping that I'm equipping the moms well enough to where they can actually start doing this on their own um, and breaking it down for their kids because I've made it uh, I've given them kind of helpful hints on how they can do that. Exactly. And I think that's that's obviously what you're doing here in the book and um, trying to make it in a, in a uh, put it in an understandable format. Um, you know, and I think that the main thing is what you mentioned before, being able to label certain things. And I, for one, just uh, have a hard time sometimes wrapping my head around it. I have to read it and reread it and read it and reread it. And, but at the same time, once it's there, it's like you want to, um, you want it to, to be solid and you want to be able to, to share it with your kids. And sometimes just having that conversation with our kids, um, talking it out with them is a great way to sort of solidify some of the things, you know, we're reading here in these books, especially with older kids. I, I always love taking a, a, a thought or a quote or something from a book and asking my kids about it, not telling them what I think, but saying, hey, what do you think about this, this statement? And then just getting that conversation going and then being able to sort of flesh it out with them. So that's kind of a fun way to, um, to bring that, uh, bring, circle that back around so that I can, it helps me remember as well. Yeah. So I, I don't know if, I, I mean, I think there's probably more women like this than men, but I'm a verbal processor. And yes. so if I can have a conversation with someone, it will stick so much more than if I just hear it or if I just read it. Um, exactly. And I think that's, that's one of the things this book is highly conversational. In fact, I, there are groups that are forming all over, not, not only all over the country, but literally all over the world that are mama bear groups. And I kid you not, there's even guys that are leading these groups. That is so awesome. <laughs> so the men are, are not, yeah, they're not intimidated. They, they, they are willing to, you know, they're, I don't think you have to check your, your man card at the door or get a punch in it or anything. I think nope. it's good information for everyone. You just got to make it through a bunch of mom jokes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and they're just discussing it. I, um, I've had someone say that they've done a lot of studies and that they really like the questions that are at the end of this book better than anyone other books that they've read because I didn't want to do it. One of those things where you just kind of have to regurgitate what you just learned, but they're actual discussion starters. Right. Uh, and women like to talk. So <laughs> I think it works. And I think it would be one of those things where if you get a group of women together and say, hey, let's go through this together, you do the discussion questions together and then y'all can say, okay, we're going to put the, the, the last part of the roar section, reinforce through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. We're going to all have these conversations with our kids. And next week, let's come back and say how these conversations had or how they happened, how they worked. You know, what'd your kids say? Oh, my kid said that. Oh, that's a good point. I should bring that up with my kid. Right. It's really a communal book. It's intended to be a communal book. I love that. And that's the way it should be. I mean, we, we were made for community. And Absolutely. so when we get together, like you said, as moms, we love to talk. Most of us are verbal processors. Yeah. And it's just 
fun, it's a fun way to connect and what better to connect around than the truth, you know, and it's just the ripple effects. I love the fact that groups are starting because I was thinking, boy, I had read in your, uh, by one of your biographies that you and your husband uh, work at your church and you do, um, what is it you do there? Like a, apologetics uh, specifically for your, for the kids there, for the families, uh, we just kind of do it. We, we teach classes. Our church is very heavy, both on small groups and on classes, which I love. That was kind of when we moved here, that was my number one thing. I knew that whatever church we went to next, I wanted it to have a heavy focus on classes, A, not only so we could take and learn, but B, so we could teach, because that is our gift. And so from the beginning, they've just uh, welcomed us with open arms. We've taught uh, a tough question series there. We, were, we went through stuff like, was the killing, killing of the Canaanites genocide? Um, to what does the Bible have to say about homosexuality, or uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other talks. I, I think I did my diagnosing doubt talk there. So that's we great. That. We had a small group called the Thinkers Group that kind of went more in depth to things. Uh, they've had us t- uh, teach at these summer series things I've taught on science and Darwinism. Um, my husband and I are both teaching a class this semester. He's teaching on the problem of evil using Clay Jones's book, Why Does God Allow Evil? And I'm going to be leading my own little mama bear group through, uh, through the, through the, through the mama bear book. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I was reading that and I thought we need about a hundred thousand more of you two, but it <laughs> sounds like um, God is kind of doing that uh, with this, you know, this sort of ripple effect of yes. groups beginning to start uh to, to gather together and and do people is there a, is there a community a single community where they converge or is this just different people taking their um, their specific group of people and going through the book? It's just people who have loved the book and who see that these these are good questions and feel like the information is really important and which I really feel like this information is vitally important because I, I do feel like it basically puts a label on everything that we're seeing. And they, they just say, other people need to know about this. And if no one's going to start it, I will. And they go ahead and do it. And then they send me pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love that. That is, that is awesome. So moms, I would encourage you as you, know, as you hear more about this, I, I, I have a feeling we're going to have some moms in this group who are going to want to do just that. So um, part of the reason that we obviously we want to be able to uh, know why we believe what we believe. We want to be able to defend it. but um, this is going to involve dealing with the viewpoints of other people. And so one of the things that you talk about is how do how to approach the viewpoints of others that conflict with your own. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And this is one of the ways that um, this has been on my heart since we started Mama Bear. And basically it's this idea of nuance and discernment and discerning properly. Um, one of the things that I realized when we first started this ministry and just watching other ministries is that polarizing things do better than nuanced things. So like you'll see, uh, you know, the Matt Walsh is out there who he, he really, he does not mince words. He says exactly what he thinks. And there's part of us that, you know, kind of inwardly cheer because he's saying what the rest of us wish we could hear. I mean, wish we could say, mm-hmm. but at the same time, he's not building bridges to the mm-hmm. other side. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I wanted Mama Bear to be nuanced and to be uh, discerning in the sense that we first recognize the good that is on the other side because everybody has good intentions. I mean, unless you're just straight up evil. I mean, I'm sure there's some people that just really enjoy inflicting harm. But for the most part, people have good intentions. But 
it, good intentions, you know, what do they say? The, the road to hell is right. good intentions. <laughs> right. But at the same time, if all we do is tell them you're, you're on the road to hell, how much are they going to want to listen to us? They exactly. Won't. Exactly. So there was a, a kid that I worked with uh, a while back. He, he was in a, a class that I taught and he was kind of one of those really obnoxious ones that I have, it, it wasn't in a Christian setting and he kind of had the, I have the truth. And anytime something supported the Bible, his, his reaction was, ha, told you so kind of to all the other kids. So you can imagine how popular he was. Right. And I had to pull him aside and talk to him and say, and, and what I did first is I praised him for all the things that I was about to rip him a new one for. I praised him for his dedication to truth. I praised him for his commitment. I praised him for his faithfulness. I praised him for his willingness to speak. I praised him for all the things that I was literally about to rip him a new one about. <laughs> and because all those things are good, they're just not being properly channeled. In right. fact, I have a theory about kids that the things that bug you most about their kids are unredeemed strengths. The kid that's super bossy, you know what? You're going to have a really good administrator right there. There's, that's someone who understands order and is willing to say what needs to be done in order to keep that order. That's an unredeemed strength that just comes out as bossiness when they're young. But right. that's something you can look at and say there's value here. A kid that's really stubborn, a kid that's really argumentative, especially if it's something around, you know, like his Christian faith, that's a boy that has conviction and is willing to be a warrior. It needs to be reined in uh, for Christ, I call it. The difference between uh, being the um, aroma of Christ or the, st the stench of self-righteousness. And, right, you know, at the time, right. the stench of self-righteousness. But, you know, he's a, he's a sixth grade boy. You know, they're just usually stenches of lots of things. Right. Um, <laughs> I can totally relate. We've got five of them. <laughs> and, and so one of the phrases that I said there that I actually ended up including in the book, I said, would you rather be um, just heard or would you rather be understood and persuasive? And I really needed to get that because anybody can be heard. You can shout at the top of your lungs. You can be a big jerk. You can, you know, be that warrior for Christ and you can be heard. But if you're not being understood and if you're not being persuasive, then all you are is a clanging gong. Mm -hmm. And so for every single one of the things in this book, we try to say, okay, what is the good that we can identify first? What are the bridges that we can build and let's find out what their intentions are. So I'll actually, I'll just go through the roar process of discernment. So it starts out with recognize the message. What is actually going on? We're just going to break this down into the most simplest. This is the message that's going out. Um, then the O for offer discernment is we want to acknowledge the good and acknowledge the bad. So in order to have discernment, you need to be able to recognize good, recognize bad, accept the good and reject the bad. And I kind of have a phrase that I say, in there that there's no theologian so sound that you're not going to get some piece of heresy from them. And there's no atheist so bad that you will never get a piece of truth from them. Everybody's going to be a mixture of both. There's only one perfect book, the Bible, and one perfect man, Jesus. Everything else is going to be a mixture. So we need to find those lies that are wrapped in partial truths. So in the offer discernment, we say, what is the good that's coming out of this? What are the good intentions? Now, what are the lies that are sneaking in? Because most lies will sneak in on partial truths. Unless we recognize those partial truths, people will assume that we are not being objective because all we will see is the bad. And if they think that we're not objective, that all we see is the bad, then there's nothing that we can say that will ever persuade them because they're not going to be persuaded by someone they think is blatantly biased. Right. This is to see the other side. You have just chopped off your ability to have a, an effect on anybody. Um, argue for a healthier approach, which would be the A in the ROAR acronym. 
is to uh, take the intentions. It's usually the intentions are good, the solutions are wrong. So let's take those intentions and say, how does a biblical worldview actually accomplish these intentions better? Mm. The solutions that they're doing. So that way we can say, hey, we're on the, we're on the same page identifying the problem. We're on a different page re- regarding the solution. Can I offer a way that I think might be a better way to solve the problem that we both agree on? Um, and then finally, uh, the final R, reinforced through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. And this is where it's dealing specifically with your kids. Uh, discussion, how are some ways that we can talk with our kids about this? What are some conversational starters uh, discipleship. There's sometimes there's some activities that you can do that I think um, my pastor says that the uh, the heart cannot believe what the will cannot obey, and I love that. And so, what are some ways we can put the will, our behaviors, into action to kind of continue to help persuade our heart that this this right here that we're talking about it's actually true, not just in word but in deed. And then the final one, prayer, reinforced through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. We have a woman named Julie Los who has been involved with Moms in Prayer. It's either 10 years or 20 years. I can't remember. But she went through and she crafted theological prayers. And we have our little, you know, bear paws acronym, which stands for, um, oh, golly, I'm drawing a blank. Let me find. I I usually know this forwards and backwards. Uh, (laughs) For praise, admit worship the, with thanksgiving. And then we said supplication, but I think we might change that to submit your request because it's just easier to understand. Right, right, but right. It's, it's kind of that basic acts kind of prayer. Um, and it's the format that Moms in Prayer has been doing forever, but we're saying, how can you pray over this particular ism, uh, you know, postmodernism, moral relativism, Marxism? How can you pray over your kids so you're not just fighting the battle in terms of equipping yourself, you're not just fighting the battle in terms of equipping your kids, but now you're on your knees fighting that battle from your knees because this is a spiritual battle. Right. That's right. That's where it starts, really, because unless God, the Holy Spirit does the work, it's it's pointless. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, yeah, so we start there, and that is that is awesome. I love that pause for prayer. It's such I love the acronyms because it makes it so much easier to to remember yes. uh, what direction. Give us it sort of con- contains everything. Gives it a name, helps us to know this is this is the direction we're going. Yeah, fun story. The 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 roar started out as the six D's, and it was like discuss, discern, disciple, blah blah. But we couldn't remember them, and we couldn't <laughs> remember the order. And we're like, if we can't remember them, no one else is going to remember them. So then we're like, we need to make this simpler. Well, and I love the roar thing because it just fits right in with the the whole idea of Mama Bear apologetics, which, by the way, I love the cover of this book. Oh, thank you. I would love to just frame that picture of that bear with the, with, it's, if you guys haven't seen the cover, it's, it's a big mama bear and she does not look happy and she's got her hand out, like get away from my kids. And her, her little cub is just hanging on tight to her leg and looking rather frightened. And, and I just love that. And it just so uh, instantly depicts that, that relationship between a, a mom and her child and, um, I just, I just love that. I don't, I don't know where you found that, but that was awesome. And it ha- kind of has a little bit of a vintagey look to it yeah. too, which I really love. Yes. Um, so, okay. So when we're talking about, um, you kind of shared a little bit about why it's important to, um, uh, to approach others uh, or how we approach other people's viewpoints um, that conflict with our own. Uh, to what extent do you feel it's important to object to someone else's differing perspective. 
Um, I think it is important to object, but I think the way we object is almost as important. And to just straight up object, uh, there's there's times for that. But I I find that one of the best ways to object is to ask them a question. Because usually if they're having some worldview that if I'm going to object to it, it's probably because it's not coherent and it's not consistent. So if I ask a question that... um, kind of helps them discover, hey, this, this might not be the best world. Let me give you an example. Um, there was a girl I was friends with on Facebook, and she put out something saying that she had decided to go Buddhist and, and that she, uh, nothing was going to make her angry and, anymore, and anger was bad. And so I just kind of decided to say, okay, so let's, let's, let's poke some holes in this. So I just said, well, what about children being sold as sex sla- into sex slavery, does that not make you angry? And she said, well, no, since anger's bad, I guess I would be more disappointed. And I said, really? I'm sorry. I don't think I can follow along with that. Children being sold into sex slavery makes me angry, and I think it should make people angry. Um, disappointed does not even begin to touch that, but, you know, kind of like a, one of those, you do you, babe, kind of, mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. hopefully someone will take a look at that and have to realize, wow, I really just said I can't get angry at children right. being sold into sex slavery. So therefore, this idea that anger itself is wrong as an absolute statement, you bring something out that, it, it, a lot of times in these worldviews, they'll make absolute statements, and then you need to bring something out that really kind of pokes a hole in that absolute statement that, they, they, they should be embarrassed to agree with stuff right. like I'm not going to get angry at children being sold into sex slavery. That shouldn't be embarrassing that you're not angry about that. Exactly. Uh, and it's not that I was trying to embarrass her. I was just trying to show her, hey, there's things that should, we should get angry about. Uh, and so I never you know, heard back much from her, but I'm hoping that that kind of made her think and anyone who was reading it, I hope it made them think. Absolutely. And I think that's one thing you shared in the book and, and when, you, when you talk about um, objecting not, I think too many Christians are, um, and, and I'm guilty of this. Um, I'm not sure I have the bandwidth to deal with the repercussions of um, saying something that <laughs> is going to cause a big kerfuffle because I have kids, I have a life, I have things I need to do that you I feel like can't are my sit on Facebook and do <laughs> for hours at right. a time. Like so that's I, not your life, exactly. And so, but at the same time, I found myself dodging certain things and there are times though that I just can't not say something there's just this compelling that okay this is worth the time and the effort but really discerning whether that's going to be a valuable thing or not because here here's the thing I I don't know how much I, I wonder how much good can be done on social media. I don't know. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about these debates that happen? Because it seems like there's never, it never seems to be a civil conversation. I have had a few that I have made sure didn't go sideways. And when it was all said and done, I had people who didn't agree with me on certain things, but said, I so appreciate it this civil conversation we were able to have about this, yeah. you know? And so there is, I think there is a desire out there for people to uh, want to see that, to engage in it, to see how it's done. But at the same time as, as moms, you know, where do we, how do we discern that? Yeah. Well, I would say number one, uh, the person that you're debating with is not your audience. I'll just say that straight off the bat. And this is something I learned from my husband who has debated many atheists. He gets invited by atheists to come do debates. 
Um, that's kind of his demographic. He's great with that. I have no desire. <laughs> none. <laughs> to do that. I've been invited and I'm like, no, I'm good. Thanks. Um, but he will, he will readily say that his goal is not to persuade the person he's debating. The reason why he's there is for the people that are on the fence, that are in the audience, mm. that have never heard uh, a well-spoken, articulated Christian worldview um, put against uh, directly the arguments from atheism. And so my husband does this as well since um, I, I would say that online is really a kind of a 21st version of missionary. And in fact, I, I had my first uh, fundraising meeting um, at a church just because basically I'm at the point where I can't keep doing this all by myself. I need to start raising funds. And in, in forming out this thing, the, the printout that I gave to them, I realized, wow, this really is a new mission field, is the online mission field, because that's where a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. And so when my husband gets in debates on Facebook, he always knows that his goal is not the person he's debating. His goal is for the people who are reading the comments. Mm, and there I love are, that. Yes. There are so many people that are reading the comments that are seeing the way he interacts with grace. Mm -hmm. Seeing how he doesn't back down, uh, seeing how when the person just tries to go into some logical fallacy ad hominem, you know, attacking the person and not really saying anything of value, my husband will call them on it in a very gracious, gracious way, but he will call them on it saying, that's not an argument. You've made a statement. You need to give me an argument on this. Um, and my husband is so patient with people that I, I'm, I'll be honest, I would just finally block. Right. So patient with them. And, and he... People notice, people mm -hmm. notice, and they actually follow him on Facebook just to watch these conversations take place. Well, I think it's, a, he's teaching, like you said, it's, it's the audience, he's teaching them how you do this. What, yes. what does this look like? Yes. And in real life. And, um, and I think the thing that really struck me um, as I was reading the book um, and thinking, you know, just kind of picturing in my mind the hostility that you see everywhere um, when it comes to these differing opinions and, and how most Christians are not handling it well. Um, but the thing that you brought up that just really stuck with me is you said, we are not dealing with enemies. We are mm. dealing with captives. Yes. And Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And all of a sudden that creates a compassion yeah. that um, can be hard to find. But of course, where do we find a resource for that kind of compassion, but God's word. And to, to see people as not enemies, but as, as though they're being held hostage mm -hmm. by hollow and deceptive philosophies. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is like, I'm going in and, um, you know, prayerfully and hopefully being used by the Lord to set people free. This is about freedom. And I just love that. And I love what you said about our goal is for God's truth to be the aroma of Christ, not the stench of self-righteousness, which, you know, we can do that. It doesn't mean they're going to necessarily be our best friend or like what we say. But I think um, the whole idea is that they may actually listen, like what you said before uh, to that young man about being heard, just being heard or being understood and being persuasive. Big, big difference there. Mm -hmm. So I love that. So what would uh, what do you identify as the biggest lies within today's culture? Um, I think there's a whole string of them that kind of culminate, and the culmination would be in the emotionalism chapter. Um, I, well, I would say, the, the, in my opinion, the two chapters that I'm like, oh, we need, people need to understand this would be the linguistic theft chapter and the emotionalism chapter. Um, 
so one of, so I'll go back to the linguistic theft first, actually. So linguistic theft is this idea where people are taking words and purposefully changing the definitions, and they're taking biblical words, words like love and justice, uh, taking them, changing the definition, and saying, you call yourself a Christian. Your God says that he's love, and your God says to love. Therefore, you need to do X, Y, Z, because that's the definition of love. And they have a completely unbiblical definition of love, but people haven't noticed this change in definition. And so they're being manipulated into basically going along with a very unbiblical agenda using biblical language. And I think that that's one of those things that uh, you and I talked about. That was your favorite chapter. That's one of my favorite chapters and bar none from people I've heard. That is the most, uh, my, my dad, I think when he read it said, this chapter is the most empowering chapter that you have because it's one of those things where people say, yes, that's happened to me and I haven't known how to answer it. That's exactly um, right. I was, we were, like you said, we were talking about this earlier and I, the thing that I just love about what, what you said, I want to read just a little piece of it. Um, you're talking about the war on words is essentially the same as war as the war on God. So postmodern culture is trying to mold God's created reality into a reality that they approve of, one that fits their definitions of love, tolerance, etc. It's a repackaged form of idolatry. No one is bowing down to an idol in their closet, but we have plenty of people bowing to a Jesus of their own design. That was just so powerful. Um, and that's exactly what you're describing. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward here. And in fact, it's like postmodernism is kind of the, um, the uh, kind of the thing that everything is hinging on, that it's just kind of birthed so many different movements. It's, you know, given way to the real staunch moral relativism. But the emotionalism is the one that I would like to point out the most. And that is this idea. So postmodernism already took away this idea of truth, but we still, we have an innate sense of truth. People are truth seekers. And so they just need to figure out how do we find truth. And we basically got rid of all the ways to finding truth until we got to, okay, we still want truth. So how's, how are we going to determine it? And now it's emotions. Not only is it emotions, it's the strength of one's emotions. That's why you are seeing so many things in the media where people are giving these really emotional pleas for things. But if you really listen to what they say, if you were to put out on, on a piece of paper what they're saying, they're not making a single argument. They're just telling you how, impassion- how passionately they feel about this subject. And people are saying, hmm, sounds good, sounds good. Yeah, that sounds true. Uh, and they have no clue that emotions don't always point to truth. So we've, we've been hearing in society so long, oh, just follow your heart. My husband and I have this big joke about this whenever we're starting off somewhere where we're not sure where to go. It's, you know, someplace we've never been before. We're like, okay, how do I get there? Oh, just follow your heart. You know, it's this really horrible uh, (laughs) advice that you'd never give anywhere else. And we're making fun of that. But that (laughs) has gotten so entrenched in our society of this idea of just follow your heart that we've forgotten that scripture says the heart is deceitful above all else and full of wickedness. Who can fathom it? Right. Um, So that's one thing. And then the second thing is I would like to read a little bit from this chapter, um, some of the main points. So I go into something that's called a syllogism, although I don't call it a syllogism in this, but it basically is a syllogism. It's based, a syllogism is where you have two premises and a conclusion that come from it. And so our little, uh, let me find the page here. Um, okay. Nope, that's not the page. Uh, okay, here we go. So here's the two assumptions that we have going on, on in our society. Number one is I cannot choose or control my emotions. This is literally 
being peddled everywhere. It, it's, it's this idea, I can't control my emotions. This is where we see the trigger warnings. Oh, I need someone to give me warning because I can't control my emotions. Um, number two, negative emotions are harmful. So these are our two premises. So if I cannot control my emotions and negative emotions are harmful, then what is the conclusion that must come from this in order to remain a healthy person? It's that we have to change reality to protect our emotions. And that is what we are seeing. We are seeing mm -hmm. people trying to change reality. And, you know, the words, the linguistic theft is one of the ways that they're doing it, uh, doing this. In fact, I think the subtitle of that chapter is um, changing words to get your way and avoid reality. <laughs> um, it was a little bit tongue in cheek, but uh yeah, so this idea of needing to change reality. In fact, I'm looking at some of the, um, I'll have a series coming out on Mama Bear soon on something called the genderbred person. And the genderbred person is basically how they're teaching gender and sexuality in a lot of a lot of the classrooms. And especially for kids that are young enough to think having a gingerbread person is really helpful. You know, you, you wouldn't probably see that in middle school. That's probably elementary age. And one of the things that they're talking about is that these things are products of how you perceive yourself in your mind. So basically everything that's happening in our mind is now determining reality and that and in determining truth. And so if our kids don't have actual reality as the arbiter of truth, this is a confused that they have no foundation to stand on and they will not have convictions about anything. Mm. Um, so I would say, um, some of the messages in this are, you know, the trigger warnings, the follow your heart. I'm offended. This idea of being offended, that emotion of being offended trumps anything else that's going on. If that person feels offended, then that means that something was objectively wrong. Something was done to them that was objectively wrong. We have no category for someone feeling offended where it's not warranted. We have to make every single feeling of offense as if there is an objective wrong that has happened. And then we label that thing that made them offended as objectively wrong. This is one of the things that we are having with Christianity, because if we have something where the Holy Spirit is trying to convict and that to them is offensive, for example, I think it was at, at um, Oklahoma Wesleyan University. There's an awesome book that came out from the past president of that, um, Everett Piper, called Not a Daycare is he literally had some kid come in and complain that they felt oppressed from chapel. And you know what the topic was at that chapel service? First Corinthians 13. <laughs> Love is kind. You know, all the things. So basically this person was feeling conviction from the Holy Spirit, but that conviction was turned into this offended me. And because this offended me, then something happened that was objectively wrong. We have now turned 1 Corinthians 13 into something objectively wrong because someone was offended by it. That is, oh, you have completely nailed it. Oh, that is just happening left and right. And I think that the key here, you know, in this linguistic theft chapter um, are those what I understood and my takeaway was we need to defend these words with all of our might because if we lose the definition of these words and our children lose the definition of these words, um, how they read scripture will change dramatically. Yes. Yes. And that, that piece right there just, I don't know, that kind of wrecked me because I'm thinking, the word of God, if, if there's nothing else I want my kids to love and understand, it is the word of God. And so in defending these words, we are defending our children's right to understand the word of God. Exactly. Wow. That is, that is powerful. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
So how, how can we teach our kids to filter what they intake from a biblical perspective? Um, first off, I think kind of teaching them that uh, the way they think is not a product of just their own mind. It's actually a product of culture. They need to understand the culture that they're in so they can say, oh, these are the things that are impacting the way I think. I'm not a free agent here. Um, if, if we want to even take it to what we see going on in the internet and the amount of studies that are done to show how people are swayed just by the kinds of um, search, uh, when you search something on Google, what comes up and people that you can, they've, they've done studies showing how, what things come up as the, oh God, I'm losing my words, come up when you search stuff can mm -hmm. actually sway someone's opinion. They, they did studies on this. So it's like people think, oh, I'm a free thinker. They don't realize how many things that are going on in culture are affecting the way that they think. And in my opinion, I think I have a, an abnormally strong desire to understand and explain things. And I think, I mean, number one, it makes me really great at what I do. So that's good. You know, number two, it can be really frustrating sometimes because when you're stressed, that turns into obsessive right. things. So it's like every single strength is also a like total weakness when you mm -hmm. get under stress. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, when you understand something, it's not about controlling it. It means that when I understand something, it can't control me. And so That's I think great. when our kids understand what culture is doing, it can't operate on them. They will not be an autopilot and it can't control them because they say, I see what you're doing there. Um, so I think just getting them to understand that these factors are playing into their thoughts and these factors are playing into what they're determining is true and right and wrong. And when they see that, they can say, okay, if I really truly want to be an independent thinker, I need to understand the culture that I'm in. And then, say, what does the word of God say? Because that's the culture that we need to be steeped in is the mm -hmm. word of God. Mm -hmm. um, how are these things disagreeing? Remind me your original question. I feel like I'm rambling on something that you didn't ask. Um, basically how to teach our children to filter what they intake from a yes. biblical perspective. Um, I, I think one of the number one things, and I cannot stress this enough, the number one thing that we need to get into them is that they're going to find good and bad in almost everything. And I say okay. almost because I don't think there is anything redeeming in porn. Nothing. Right, right. Uh, that's, uh, I call it the chew and spit in the book where basically everything is a chew and spit where if anybody's familiar with beef, sometimes you get a piece of beef and you get right. a bristle and you need to spit that out. But you take in what is nourishing and what is true and you reject the things that aren't. And so right. basically this keeps them from going on autopilot. I would say, I don't even know what percentage of our problems actually come when Christians just go on autopilot and they either swallow something that they thought was true. That's where we have stuff like in progressive Christianity, people go into churches and they're like, well, the pastor says that the story about Jesus is more allegorical. I guess that's true. It's coming from a pastor. They've not been taught to question everything that they hear. Uh, it's kind of like in, I think it's First Thessalonians 5.21, I think it says, uh, uh, test all things and hold fast to what is good. Our kids need to know they can't go in autopilot. We cannot categorize anything as all good or all bad, all safe or all dangerous. So if they are constantly looking for uh, just kind of these underlying messages, I actually, I think it's great to make it a game. I've, I've heard from a lot of different parents that their kids, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would love to watch a movie with uh, one, of, one of the ladies that was on the launch team. Her kids will literally yell out in the middle of a uh, movie theater, bad worldview. <laughs> something that's a bad worldview. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be in that movie theater. 
uh, Natasha Crane's kids, she went through when they were six that she went through a series on just real quick logic, you know, what's good logic, what's bad logic. And she thought it was going to be completely over their heads. And for the next two weeks, she just heard them screaming from other rooms, bad logic, uh, <laughs> calling each other on it. So it's like kids pick up on so much more than we think. And especially if we kind of make it a game to, to, to find these things when they're younger and they're in the black and white stage, you can't go into the, well, you need to find the good and the bad. That's maybe sometime around middle school. Right. And just teach them how to spot when things, it's bad logic, it's a bad worldview, uh, and make it a game to where they're looking, they are constant. it's training them to be sifting through these ideas. Right, right. It's a it's constant, not- you're teaching them discernment is what you're yes. doing. Yes. My, my dad used to do that a lot. He would ask me questions about something that, you know, people would just take for granted, you know, they would just assume something and he would just start to ask me questions about it. And, and that got me to, it it really trained me to really think before I would respond to things. And he used to do this other thing where he would, he would be talking and then all of a sudden he would just say something that was a complete lie. And, and and he, and he said, I've got this huge smile on my face. It did not take very long for me to go, wait a minute, that's not true. And I might, might've been four or five or six or something like that. And, um, and he would just laugh, but that was one of the things he wanted us to be able to think for ourselves. I and, love it. Oh, go Papa Bear. Yeah. So, yeah. So it can start with just such simple, simple things that you can do, games you can play, things you can say, just that, that sort of gentle pointing, like you're talking about, just pointing, you know, well, what do you think about that? And what about this? And what about that? And and kids are just, they're so amazing. And the more I talk with uh, kids, the more enamored I am with their, the way that they can process things. Um, and yet at the same time, sometimes I just so love, like you said, their black and whiteness. You know, we've, our grandson is five years old and everything is definitely black and white to him, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just fun to hear. He's very secure. He's very loved. And so um, you can just see his confidence, you know, growing and, um, but his parents are, you know, just, they're just, uh, just doing such a good job of, you know, helping him learn to discern things and to asking him questions and things like that. So it's just, it, to me, that is just one of the funnest things ever is just, talking with kids and having these kinds of conversations with them. But, you know, I think a a logical next question to that first question about uh, teaching them how to filter what they intake, uh, should we be monitoring and limiting their uh, media intake? Absolutely. Um, I think it's one of those things where we we cannot... um, We cannot ignore the process of desensitization. And which desensitization is basically the the more you hear something shocking, the less shocking it becomes. It's mm-hmm. this idea of, you know, think about the number of deaths that kids see just between the news and between TV shows. And that death is just this, it doesn't even phase them anymore. Sometimes these just whacked out horror things. Oh, I, I, I couldn't even begin to start watching them. And people will watch it with just no, no qualms whatsoever. And I, I have purposely not desensitized myself to that because I'm very careful about what I do. But also remembering that the messages that are going into your kids, they are more impressionable the younger that they are. And so they may not have the chance to really discern at that age. And you may not know what's going on in their programming. For example, uh, Amy, 
was talking about uh, a, a show. I can't remember what the name of it was that her kids watch. That's usually great. And for one, for whatever reason, one day she just sat down and was watching it with them. And it was all about Valentine's day and this girl having a secret crush. And at the very end you discovered it's like, you thought it was a guy because it kept showing this guy. But at the end you discover it was a girl that she had a crush on. Wow. And it was just this real quick thing at the end where this girl finally takes this love note out that the whole, the whole episode had been about who's this for. And you look down the hall and the main character has these like googly eyes looking at her and then it cuts away. I mean, it was so fast and she happened to be sitting next to her kids and he turned and looked at her and said, mom, what just happened? Did she have a crush on a girl? And so we have to realize that this normalization process for a lot of things that maybe shouldn't be normalized, that, that, would, that would almost be another word for the desensitization, the normalization of things that are unbiblical to where it just sounds, once you try to reverse that later, it just sounds like, oh, you're so backwards. You're so, you're so, you know, last century, you know, get with the program. This is 2000, almost 2020, you know, kind of thing that when you normalize them to things that they shouldn't be normalized to, I think that's a bad thing. However, we cannot be protecting them from everything. I think the best advice I have ever heard was my pastor's wife back in uh, when I was in high school. And hers was specifically regarding sex, but I think it could be applied to anything. Uh, And her, her philosophy was, I don't want my kids hearing about anything that they haven't heard in my kitchen first. Mm. And I love that. Mm, and, uh, I love that. Yeah. So when we are addressing these things to begin with, we can actually kind of release them a little bit more because if we're constantly discussing the lies that they're going to be seen in culture, then they're going to identify them as lies when they do see it. But if we try to discuss it with them after the fact, they've already got that impression of this thing is good. Now you're trying to convince me that it's not. You actually right. need to go backwards. Uh, show them what is true and what is not true and then let them be able to sift through that later. Mm, I love that. That is so good. That is so good. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people would say, well, they would say, oh, you're being overprotective. You're being overprotective. And you know what? It is our job to protect our kids. I just feel like, especially when they're very, very young, that their world should just be full of truth and beauty and surrounded with, you know, by God's creation and just seeing the beautiful things in life and just, because I feel like it impacts their uh, their view of God, their view of life, their worldview, just to be able to have that time of innocence, I think yeah. is so important. But as moms, um, it's it's getting more and more difficult to do that, but it's not impossible. And I think if we just are prayerful and we ask the Lord for wisdom and knowing how to protect them and also asking for His protection. Mm-hmm. We've been in situations with our kids where something happened and it wasn't something that I wanted them to see um, but it just, you know, like it just happened. It was out in public or whatever. And um, I come to find out later that they never saw it. Huh. And I think that was partly because of daily prayers, just asking for God to put a hedge of protection around them and not let them see anything that they weren't ready to see or experience, yeah. you know, just, and it's, a, you know, again, that's a, that's where it's starting on our knees. Lord, give us wisdom. Show us what this looks like. How do we walk this out? But um, so what are some specific ways in which a mom can protect her child from the many lies that the world wants to push upon them? I like to, uh, so in our, our intro, it's called, uh, protecting your kids, the mama bear way. 
And basically there's, you know, there is a certain period of time where we need to protect our children by, by sheltering them. And that's legitimate for a certain period of time. Just like there's a period of time where our kids have soft food and then there's a period of time where we cut their food up for them. And those are absolutely necessary. But our goal needs to be in teaching them how to cut the food up for them. Um, The way that we like to use the whole vaccines, there's a lot of, I would like to talk about as a powerful analogy for ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so be, having my master's in biology, I've learned about vaccines. Have are we antibodies in our, in, in our body that are, think about every single foreign invader that comes into our body has a particular shape. And so an antibody needs to be created that's that exact same shape but opposite to where it basically can latch on to that foreign invader and neutralize it. So what we're doing when we give vaccines is we're putting a dead version of this bacteria or this virus into the body. So the body still sees the shape and says, ooh, we have something coming. I need to make an army that if, uh, so that, because there might be more of these things coming. So what happens is the body makes an army of all these things that are specifically tailored to that particular disease. And then if they are ever actually exposed to the disease, like a live, virulent form of that disease, the body has this whole ready-made army that can then neutralize it. And that's how vaccines work. Now, um, when we want to say this in the, in the realm of ideas, we need to say every single one of these ideas, again, we don't want our kids hearing about something they haven't heard in our kitchen first. So if we introduce smaller forms of these ideas to them early on, Right before idea is basically giving them a category for when I hear this, this concept, this idea, this lie, there's actually an answer for it. So when they start hearing it out in culture, they actually already have a, 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 an army of ideas in their head that can actually attack that false view. And that is actually protecting them as you're building them, their spiritual immune system, uh, as we would say, but it's done through presenting them with these bad ideas in small doses so that we can kind of control building up those ideas saying this can be rebutted. So when you hear it out there and people act like it can't be rebutted, you've already heard it rebutted. And so it's not scary. It's not new. And you've already heard an answer to it. And it basically just bounces off. That's protection right there. And it's Mm -hmm. done by equipping the child, not by sheltering them. Right. Wow. That is so good. So the connection, tell me about the connection between this book and your podcast and do the two correspond with each other? Um, So I think that one of the things in the podcast that we always aim for is uh, we have always aimed to, it's like we kind of did the ROAR method before ROAR method where we try to take ideas and we try to look at it from all the different sides. We try to identify good things. We try to identify bad things. We try to be very balanced, as balanced as we can. And again, like I said before, we realized early on that polarizing things uh, actually have a tendency to do better. And we kind of just submitted to the Lord and said, you know what, if we're going to be small fry for the rest of our life, because people would rather have an emotional response to something polarizing, rather than having to take the time and the work to think through something that's difficult, we're going to, excuse me, we're going to take that difficult route and we're fine being small fry because we feel like that's what's being faithful. Um, so I think the, the podcast really deals with not just specifically evidential apologetics. It deals with kind of how to think about different things. And this entire book, the Mama Bear Apologetics book, really is a how to think kind of book, not necessarily of 
these are the specific things. We do give specific things, but more than anything, we want to empower people to learn how to sift through ideas on their own. And I think we've been doing that with the podcast and I think it just kind of translated easily over into the book because as we did the podcast, it, it really kind of formed what the thesis and the main focus of Mama Bear was, which is proper discernment, not just finger pointing. That's that's and that's so important. I think that because there is so much finger pointing going on, we <laughs> definitely need to uh, change that change that game. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love that. And and again, it it comes from equipping. You know, we we're talking earlier about um, antibodies and things like that. And I just I feel like we do that with uh, you know feeding our kids healthy food. You mm-hmm. know, why would we feed them crap when it doesn't give their bodies what it needs to fight things off? You know, mm-hmm. and so it's it is. It's just a um, it's another area of, of parenting that, you know, I, I feel like, especially in our culture, we really need to step up our game on this. And um, and I love the fact that we can take this as homeschooling moms and we can uh, use it as a, a kind of a theme for our homeschooling. And you have a, a lot of uh, resources listed at your site. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to encourage moms to go check that out. But um, with that being said, share with us uh, some of the ways that moms can connect with you. Okay. Um, so they can, uh, I'm on Facebook. They, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So I try to really answer things personally. So we have a contact page on the Mama Bear Apologetics website. So that's mamabearapologetics.com. And there's a, a contact place on that. And mama is spelled M-A-M-A. I get all sorts of wacky spellings of mama for some reason. <laughs> Hello? She cut out there. I am in the country at the time if I'm like off giving a talk or visiting somewhere or if I'm just at home in front of my computer. I try to get back with those as quickly as I can. Um, And I like to give a personal response. So you can do that for the contacting the mama bears there. You can message us on Facebook. Um, I usually look, the only thing that I don't pay a lot of attention to are the DMs on Twitter because I started getting so many random ones of people just promoting stuff. I just barely even look at that. But um, on Instagram, yeah, I just, I, I like to see if anybody mentions Mama Bear, I'll, I'll usually answer. So there's lots of ways to, to get in contact. And Great. I try to, and this again is where I think we have kind of more of a 21st century mission mindset that I have not been sent to one specific group that's in one specific location that I don't think this is just me. It's like this, this modern day missions is online. And so Mm -hmm. I treat it as such, I treat it as individuals who want an individual answer and not just being pointed to a bunch of resources. Here's four videos an hour long each that you can take to answer the question you just asked me. I try to, um, I try to give good answers for people when they contact me. And sometimes it takes longer than others, but I, I do attempt to do that. Oh, I love that. And so what we'll do is we'll include all of that in, um, in the podcast notes. And um, now <laughs> I was supposed to ask you, I do this all the time. I ask at the beginning before we're recording, but I didn't do that. Um, can we do a giveaway for a free copy of the book? I, I think we can. Uh, we'll have to contact Emma about okay. that. And she'll be in charge of that, but I think that wouldn't be a problem. All right. Well, um, I will uh, include that in the podcast notes if we can do that. So check that out when you go to my website uh, and then leave, be sure to leave the comment at my website because if I get comments on, you know, all these different uh, uh, podcast 
platforms that are are have my podcast, I can't find them all. So if you'll just go to my dorindawilson.com and leave a comment there to be entered in the giveaway, um, that would be awesome. So thank you so much for being here today. We are, I'm just so grateful that we were able to have this conversation. Yeah. And I think moms, if you haven't checked it out, please go and check out Mama Bear Apologetics. I think you will love it. And, um, and hopefully a bunch of us will get some groups started and we'll just uh, um, be encouraging each other in that. And I, I, I love that idea. I think it's, it's a wonderful way to bring moms together and to really be equipping the next generation and ourselves, of course. Yep. So thanks again for being here. And uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for the truth of your word that never changes. We thank you that um, so many things are clarified in this, uh, this book that uh, Hillary and the other moms there at Mama Bear Apologetics have put together, Lord. We thank you for that resource. Um, I pray, Father, for the hearts of every mom who's here, who's listening. God, I pray that you would just whisper um, in the deep places of her heart to know uh, what are the next steps to be taking to equip ourselves and to equip our children to to walk out our faith in this generation. Thank you that we were made for such a time as this, Father, and that you have given us resources to encourage us, Lord. Thank you again for your faithfulness, and thank you for this time that we could have together. In Jesus' name, amen.